All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to The Maddie Miller Show. Um, today, we have a guest joining via Zoom from Toronto, Canada, uh, Connor Sweetman. He is the founder and editor-of-chief of a magazine called Ecstasis, which I cannot wait to talk about later. And he's also the creative lead at Christianity Today. Connor, thanks so much for joining me, and I'm so excited to hear a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. It's great to connect a long time ago, and it's cool to follow that up with another conversation. Yeah, I know. I was just going to mention how we actually know each other, which is kind of random, but I reached out to um, Connor on LinkedIn, actually. Um, Earlier this year, I was kind of having this like life crisis of like what to do with my life. And I just decided to start like looking at people who do similar like creative things that I would like to do sort of. And I just found Exasis and then I just saw Connor was like, the founder and the editor. So just kind of reached out to him and he was so gracious to um, give me like a call. So we like called and I actually in preparing for this podcast, looked back at my notes that I took from our call. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like you, our stories were kind of like similar in a way. And you gave me a lot of great advice, just um, talking about like the creative world and um, having a creative career more than an academic one. And I don't know. So I'm just so thankful. And so then here we are a couple months later, me reaching out for you to be on the podcast. <laughs> but, Perfect. Glad to be here. And it's cool seeing even just that conversation that we had, you obviously acted on a lot of those things that we talked about and you really pulled the trigger on certain things. So it's really cool to see you moving down that same path of uh, figuring out what you actually want to do with your life. <laughs> yeah, no, that is great. And that's actually like, I would feel like what's my podcast is kind of about these days, like kind of promoting people's stories of career paths and how they got and slowly on how I'm trying to figure that out. Because I don't know exactly still where I want to go, but I, I feel like I'm on more of a path. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, Connor, I always have everyone on my podcast say a fun fact um, about themselves. So I'm curious as to what your fun fact is. Mm. So I was thinking of what this could be, and it's going to be a very recent fun fact that is kind of a story, but also a more long-term, less so fun, but a fact about me. So basically I went to uh, England and France with my wife recently, and uh, we were just kind of traveling, seeing all the sites. We went to the Louvre in France, um, and you know, I don't know if you've been there, but the Mona Lisa is there, always a very long line, like kind of a, a huge queue that you have to wait to get closer. And so I went there um, and I said to my wife, you know what, we don't have to wait this whole time. Uh, Let's just look at it from the side. So we kind of went to the side of the queue and we're, we're really having a really cool moment with it. And I was actually honestly touched by how much um, I was kind of emotionally hit by seeing the Mona Lisa. And I know I talk about art all the time. I talk about the power of it, but it was a really unique moment where it felt very tender. It felt very like uh, you hear about how her eyes follow you. Um, and it really, in that moment, I felt like she was looking at me. And then as, we were, awesome. as we were looking at the painting from the side, I have an attendant come up who works in the gallery. She comes up and kind of, she speaks French and I don't speak French. She kind of pointed at me and my wife and kind of beckoned us like, come here. Uh, And she detaches the uh, 
velvet partition thing was in in front of the whole crowd um so I'm like what is happening so I I honestly just thought maybe she saw us having like a really beautiful moment with it and wanted to invite us in turns out and this is where the more long-term life fact comes in my wife starts laughing because she turns back and points at this disability sign that was on this area that we had been standing in so she had saw me and I am partially disabled in like my hands and my arm and so I guess she thought oh he's trying to get in the disabled venue to see the Mona Lisa so it was a very funny, like, okay, I guess I will funny. take advantage of that disability advantage. But yeah. I was just having a really nice time with the Mona Lisa. So that uh, is number one, so awesome cool. Mona Lisa. Number two, lifelong disabled, but that doesn't play that big of a role in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a great story. And that's so cool to see the Mona Lisa. I mean, I feel like for anyone, that would be awesome. But for people who really appreciate art, like what a cool milestone moment. It was. It was a really memorable moment for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for that fun fact. That was definitely a great fun fact. Um, okay. So we're going to start off with kind of where I start with like every podcast, kind of just asking um, the guests, like, what was your childhood like? What was your family? And like talking about like your early career aspirations, you know, where did, especially for you as a creative person, how did you see that kind of formulate in your childhood and where you grew up and um, how you grew up and all that? Mm-hmm, for sure. I love to kind of dabble in every possible art, artistic form. Um, I think I did have a pretty creative childhood without kind of intending it. Um, I grew up in a family with four siblings. Um, my dad worked at a Christian university and then my mom homeschooled all five of us, which is kind of a crazy undertaking. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up in that kind of uh, uh, city in Toronto, but also cloistered in a way with my family, but also a lot of creative freedom and, and encouragement. And my dad especially has always um, sought that out. And he, when he was in a master's degree in Vancouver, he had a very artistic community that I think he kind of passed on to us. So I grew up with that kind of passionate love of drawing. I just remember kind of getting a stack of like a huge stack of scrap paper and sitting down and just drawing, sketching for hours on end. And that was kind of one of my main um, pastimes. And then also I would dabble with photography, painting. I would write a little bit here and there. But honestly, I think looking back, I have really recognized a thread where I always loved, say for instance, I always loved coming up with different titles for a a book series. So I would come up with like book number one, book number two, book number three, and I'd come up with the titles, the chapter names, and then even illustrate some of the book covers, but I would never actually write the book itself. And I think looking back, just the way that I dabbled in so many different art mediums and I would love to create these containers, like conceptual containers uh, for the art that I would one day create to fall into, but then I would never actually do the firsthand writing or the firsthand painting. And so I think looking back with my job now, it really falls in line with this curatorial impulse that I think I've always really strongly had where I love to 
bring in kind of the work and the best of other people's creative endeavors and create a home for that work to reside and really mm-hmm. um, kind of blossom and be the best that it can be. So yeah, looking back, a lot of that curatorial impulse is now what I do full time. So it's cool to see that thread. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is incredible. I was like, as you were talking, I was like thinking about the parallels, like things that I did when I was younger that parallel what I like to do now. And I feel like that's so important for people to know, like things that you were interested in in your childhood and things you do like can really inform you to like maybe a certain path you should go. So that's really awesome. Um, So moving forward, um, you went to college. Where did you go to college? What did you major in? And what was that? What were you involved in um, during that time? Mm -hmm. So I kind of in high school, I had taking a bunch of art classes. Um, But my dad, I didn't fully know where I wanted to go, but my dad worked at this local Christian university, we call it up in Canada. Um, Things are less, they're more divided into like university is more the humanities and and those kind of degrees. And then college is more kind of hands-on trades style. So I went to this Christian university called Tyndale um, and I, it was pretty small and we don't have really huge uh, universities with like all these different options as much in Canada that are Christian. So I kind of just went with the artsiest thing I could think of, which was English. Um, They didn't have any fine arts programs, which is fine because I really did realize that as I was studying English, I was really falling in love with how, um, yeah, just the deeper and wider ideas of culture and beauty and how ideas can influence culture in a very Mm -hmm. subtle and overt way um, through the arts, through literature, through, um, yeah, just different cultural endeavor. So basically, uh, I took an English math, or sorry, an English bachelor's. Uh, I finished that in five years because in my fifth year I went on an exchange trip to Oxford where I got to study Shakespeare for three straight months I read 20 plays um, got to see kind of all the all the main sites that he wrote in but then also got to see the influence of C.S. Lewis and the Inklings Mm -hmm. and had a beer at their little tavern that they always had the eagle and the child so that was kind of a really milestone moment as well where uh, a lot of the conceptual things that I had been learning about really took concrete form here in England well not here there in England yeah and it was such a yeah such a fireworks moment where and again I had during my university degree I had um, been falling more in love with literature and the arts but also I've been kind of going through a period of uh, almost like a crisis of faith where I was figuring out what I wanted to believe, what direction mm-hmm. I actually wanted to put my faith into. Yeah. So at the tail end, Europe really brought all those things together, the creative impulse, but then the spiritual foundation, the intellectual foundation, mm-hmm. and brought it all together in a really powerful way. Um, so that was wonderful. And then I finished yeah. that off with a master's in English as well after that. Um, and that was kind of the edit or the <laughs> the educational journey that I'd been on for about six or seven years at that point. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That trip to Europe sounds incredible. And I'm so glad like people like that get like you get to do that because like that's such a cool opportunity. Um, so I remember you saying I'm referencing when we had our call several months ago, you I remember you saying something about like an editing business that you um, mm-hmm. had. Was that um, after your master's during your master's or like just talk a little bit about that side gig? Yeah. And I think I'm sure we'll get more into that kind of idea of learning as you go and just kind mm-hmm. of doing whatever interests you, even if it's a small level, and then yeah. allowing it to grow with skill and time. So yeah, in university, I uh, offered to edit my friends' essays for $20 a pop, <laughs> and they would, uh, yeah, just kind of, I, I was known around town as a, a quick editor for people that needed a little bit of help to figure out their ideas, but even less than ideas, just kind of flow of their essay and more grammatical structure and stuff like that. So it really was a very small business at the time, but word started to spread to even the graduate students at the university. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I slowly started to kind of get clients at a higher and higher level who wanted um, help with maybe their uh, dissertation for their doctorate of ministry and even I had one professor who really gave me a a leg up and she allowed me to come on and edit one of her manuscripts like her book manuscripts she hired four of us to go through all the chapters that she'd done and just kind of allow any editorial feedback so that was kind of the first big main project that showed me okay maybe I can do this at a higher level um so it was cool to kind of see the ball starting to roll very slowly at first and then pick up speed and then I was approached to take over the editorial uh position at a youth magazine um here in Canada by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. They had a a magazine called Love is Moving. So that was the first formal position that I had where I could actually put those um, editorial skills to use in a more official capacity. Yeah, that's awesome. I love, I love that idea of like starting something like really small and then it becoming, you becoming better at it, but then also it growing into something else. Um, so it sounds like right out of college or right out of your master's, you, your first job was that job you just mentioned, um, editing at that magazine, kind of. of. Okay. It was, yeah, well, it was a, it was a part-time job. It was like, Mm -hmm. 10 out 10 15 hours a week so okay. uh, I obviously needed something more substantial so I did that out of university for um, about a year year and a half but I did postmasters I got married realized okay I need to get something 40 hours a week or whatever um, so I went into nonprofit communications and marketing okay. at mm-hmm. a small uh, it was kind of a medical nonprofit for people who were deaf and blind. So it's, it's called deaf blindness. And it, mm-hmm. they had different houses across Ontario, which is the province I live in. Um, and so I would do the employee communications and network or uh, marketing for all their fundraising events and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of the pivot into more corporate work um, mm-hmm. on an editorial marketing side. And that taught me a lot of what it is like to work in a corporate job. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And um, so when was, because I know that um, ecstasis, which is um, what you're doing today, that kind of started earlier on. Where in your timeline is that starting? Mm. Yeah, it was near the end of university, uh, my bachelor's degree before my master's. I would say it kind of all came to fruition around the time of going off to England, having that kind of faith, uh, security and artistic security, intellectual security. It honestly, it came to me one day, I think I was at a concert or something and the thought just entered my head, start a magazine. And I had, I didn't know anyone who was doing it. Um, I had a lot of creative friends and, uh, and I knew I just loved to kind of dabble in all those different mediums. So I started reaching out to friends and even a few musicians that I really liked. I was like, Hey, can I interview you for this magazine that I'm starting? Um, So that was, again, just an exercise in starting small and just allowing an an idea to to form as I did it. And looking back at those first one, two, three issues, it was very poor. Like it was not very well done, very (laughs) pixelated images. I did not understand the printing process. I didn't understand what it was like to work with writers to develop their essays. Mm-hmm. So it really was a learning process of figuring out what it actually means to run a magazine. And it, I didn't expect it to go anywhere because it really was a, a passion project that was yeah. just so much fun for me to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where it started in like 2016, 17. Um, and then I just purely did it as a passion project on the side of all my other work over the span mm-hmm. of like five years. Um, yeah. Until, until it became something more legit. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So in those five years, um, what were some of those jobs that you had? And what do you feel like um, you learned from those jobs that kind of prepared you for what you do now? Mm-hmm. So as I said, I was in the marketing for marketing communications for a nonprofit for mm-hmm. about two years. And then it was funny because I reached a point where I'd always wanted to be in the arts and culture world uh, on a full-time basis. But I really recognized that it was unlikely that that was going to happen because positions are hard to come by. I was in Mm -hmm. Canada. I wasn't plugged into many of the communities that are thriving in the U.S. Um, And so I kind of reached the point that I thought I'd have to give up that dream and just continue doing it on the side which was fine mm-hmm. I had I had kind of allowed myself to go with that fate but so at that time in about 2018 or maybe 2019 time has become a strange mirage <laughs> yeah I get uh, it <laughs> I pivoted to <laughs> It was not the job that was probably best for me, but I pivoted to a marketing job for a financial tech startup in Toronto. And I worked there for about six months and it was very high paced, break next speed. Um, and because I have more of that creative personality that isn't as intense on deadlines and and scheduling and organization, mm-hmm. which are very important skills to have, 
that job taught me that number one, not everyone thinks like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very different being in a context where I'm the only one that's thinking on a creative or, or linguistic or editorial wavelength. Everyone else is very much on an economic, mathematical, scientific process um, way of thinking. So it was really good, very much being thrown into the deep end of that, where I had to learn my, like, I can't sweet talk out of not getting a deadline done. Like, (laughs) yeah, if you don't get this done, then we're, we're losing a client. So things like that were really good to refine some of my more um, laissez-faire, <laughs> uh, natural inclinations, yeah. which I, I'm still having to having to learn and refine because it when you're having to juggle so many different things as mm-hmm. the editor, creative director, whatever, all these different things, uh, it's it's hard to realize that I'm gonna have to let some people down along the way, but I do have to be way more on deadline than I maybe mm-hmm. naturally would. So that was a really good um, a good recognition of what how other people think that might not naturally think like me. Um, and then even going back to the nonprofit job I had, I would say mm-hmm. that I learned just the value of bringing people together in a common mission. So Mm -hmm. um, in that nonprofit, we'd have fundraising events for these people who were living in these houses, uh, very medically fragile people. And you really saw a lot of kind of beautiful camaraderie created around raising money for these people and just kind of a shared mission. So that was a cool, um, yeah, it just showed me the value of, bringing people together, whether it's in person or online, just in a common vision of what can be accomplished. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great transition into the question that I was going to ask next, which is kind of just transitioning to just talking about ecstasis. Um, Can you talk a little bit about like for people who don't know um, what what ecstasis is? Um, It's a magazine, but kind of what the mission behind it is and what it all encompasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's both a online and print uh, publication. It's gone through many iterations of its tagline or motto. When it, at the very beginning, I had this idea of art meets academia, kingdom meets culture. So it was kind of that four different multifaceted angles that I wanted to see the, the world through. So art, academia, kingdom, culture, mm-hmm. and usually those worlds, um, they aren't at odds with each other, but sometimes they're juxtaposed to one another. So I just wanted to provide a space where they were merged into one cumulative Mm -hmm. um, landscape. So, and then after that, I came up with the motto of reviving the Christian imagination. So I had seen so so much work of publications that were maybe geared towards older audiences than I was and really established poets and painters and artists that had been doing their craft for 30, 40, 50 years, but weren't as necessarily in touch with the digital generation and Mm -hmm. kind of the sleek designs that we would be drawn to today Mm -hmm. online. So I wanted to, again, provide a space where I wanted to value the work that had been going on for 
decades, obviously, but also yeah. um, places like Image, Image Journal, which comes out of Seattle, um, and different mm-hmm. places like that. And then merge it with a more, uh, yeah, not Gen Z, because I'm not Gen Z, but more millennial, younger millennial um, aesthetic design and creative milieu um, and kind of merge them into one space. So, yeah. uh, and then just the final thing, uh, I would say that as I've really found my space in this Christianity Today ecosystem, I have broadened it even beyond just talking about the arts or just trying to fit a literary illusion in pure essay, but mm-hmm. I just want it to be more broadly the view of seeing our life and our faith through a poetic lens. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of the current publishing landscape, the current church landscape is very mm-hmm. much through a prosaic lens so um it's kind of the two types of writing that often people think of is prose and poetry and prose Mm -hmm. is very logical um you you kind of have a standard of um argument that you're trying to prove that you're you're building up the almost a scientific method in a literary Mm -hmm. format yeah Uh, and that's very that's like very basic understanding of prose and I'm not doing justice to it but I just (laughs) want to provide kind of a a more poetic lens to see these things through and Mm -hmm. really resonate with people that love the church love the world love media whatever but they might not be seeing a a merging of their poetic lens in a Mm -hmm. more faith-based environment so that's the overarching goal that was very insightful. And that's actually what brought drew me to ecstasis because I love art and stuff, but I don't always see like that merging of like my faith with art. And I think that's so cool. I actually just the other day, um, when I was going on the website to prepare for this um, podcast, I just go ahead, put in my order for issue nine, because I'm just so excited for it to come Uh, out. And I think like the website in general is just awesome to go and um, read, you know, the different essays and look at the awesome pictures. But I also think that it's going to be so fun for me to be able to have a physical copy that I can sit on my desk. So I'm super excited for that um, uh, and recommend anyone who is listening to go check out their website because it is really awesome. And it's very, very beautiful. Um, So you kind of talked to a little bit about it, about um, the idea of it getting picked up by Christianity today. What was that whole process like and when did that start? So Exasis uh, reached a new pivot point in about 2019. And as I said, it really was truly a passion project. I was doing it on evenings and weekends. And it was just so much fun for me, kind of slowly growing that literary and artistic community organically. I had just started about, I was about six months in to my new job at the uh, financial tech startup when out of nowhere, I got an email from uh, one Timothy Dalrymple, who was the uh, president of Christianity Today, the editor at the time. Um, And essentially he had heard about Exasis through um, another employee at CT, Gail, 
who had come across it from her friend. So essentially it had landed in her mailbox as a birthday gift or something like that. And when she saw it, she was just enamored with it, loved the visual nature of it, loved the poetic and, and beautiful essays, um, not to cue my own horn. But essentially she really enjoyed the experience of it. And she said to Tim, hey, you have to see this. And so he reached out to a writer who had previously written for Ecstasis out of the kindness of her heart. She had written something for me early on. And so they got connected. Uh, she looped me into an email. And basically, they just kind of wanted to get a general understanding of what Ecstasis was. They mm -hmm. thought there was a whole team behind it. They didn't realize that it was me and uh, a, a couple volunteers here and there, um, and mm -hmm. which I'm super thankful for their work as well. But it really mostly was, um, yeah, just me doing uh, my evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. So we scheduled a few meetings just to hear my heart for it, what the technicalities of what I was doing. And essentially they were saying, hey, we have a dream of pivoting to some new project, not pivoting the whole organization, but doing a few projects mm -hmm. that resembled a lot of what Exasis is already doing. So they just invited mm -hmm. me to come on the team and do Exasis for them. <laughs> which Yeah, that's awesome. Really a dream come true. And honestly, it was such a cool God thing because mm -hmm. just a couple months before I had, um, I had been looking for a vision mission statement that I can put on the website that could frame the mission of Exasis on a more theological level. And I, I asked my dad, I said, do you think if I just put their mission statement and said, this is, we align with Christianity today, is that plagiarism? And he said, no, <laughs> if you actually reference, if you link them and show that you are taking it mm -hmm. from CT, then that's totally fine. So basically I had said, we align with this idea of beautiful orthodoxy. We uh, align with a lot of what CT is doing, and that's kind of our theological statement. And then we link to the to CT website. And when Tim and Gail had seen that, they were they thought, okay, perfect. We're kind of aligned. Yeah. We're on. We're trying to accomplish the same goals just through very yeah. different venues and mediums. So it was kind of a match made in heaven. And it really was a dream that four years ago, if you had said, what would you hope for Exasis? It really would have been to have it bought out by some larger organization that I can, yeah. I can work full time for. So and mm -hmm. CT was one of the organizations that I would have loved to be acquired by. So it was yeah. such a cool dream come true moment. Yeah, that's, that is like the coolest story ever. That's awesome. Um, so now you kind of mentioned that like before Ecstasis was just you, do you have like a full team now or what, what's the team aspect? Yeah. It's a uh, good question. <laughs> it's still <laughs> uh, pretty much me. And then I have a editorial assistant, Caroline Greb. She's been wonderful at helping me uh, work on the artist profile side of things mm -hmm. and then more general editorial capabilities as well. But what's been really cool is it's Exasis has really been given the mission to keep doing what we were doing before, but mm -hmm. in the context of the wider CT team. So my boss uh, is the creative director of CT. So he mm -hmm. oversees a lot of the 
other projects that they're doing that are so vital to spreading the mission of CT. So he's the executive producer of that Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that did really yeah. well. And, uh, and mm-hmm. people, a lot of new listeners um, tapped into these conversations that CT was hosting um, that are so important for the church and the world right now. Mm-hmm. So it's been really cool getting feedback of how to tune ecstasis in a way that is still holding true to its original mission while still getting the expertise and the feedback of the CT editorial team and creative team. So yeah, it's a little bit of both worlds where I am still very much on its original mission while still, uh, well, also getting the the, uh, creative genius of a lot of other CT members. Yeah, that's so cool. So all the um, writers, photographers, designers, I don't even know if I'm saying all those um, titles like correctly, are they all freelance um, for your magazine or what, like say somebody that's listening, like would want to be like featured in your magazine? How, how does that process work? Yeah, we love getting submissions. We take uh, submissions from basically anyone. So essentially, uh, back in the day, I used to have to reach out to most writers asking yeah. to submit something. Thankfully, now it's kind of flipped a little bit where mm-hmm. majority of work comes in um, as submissions to the general email. And then I will sort through and say, this is a fit. Maybe this isn't a fit, but we can get you uh, over the finish line or it just doesn't quite fit the vision and that's fine. So yeah, anyone who's interested can purely um, just write an email to editor at ecstasismagazine.com. You can can give that link any way you want, but we invite um, essays, kind of personal narrative essays that weave in Mm -hmm. historical, literary, artistic influences, and just kind Mm -hmm. of, as I said before, look at the world through a poetic lens. Um, And then we also invite poetry submissions, as well as photography submissions. So Mm -hmm. if your skill set is in any of those categories, then we'd love to see a submission from you in the inbox. Yeah, that's so, that's so awesome. Um, My kind of last question about just ecstasis in general. Um, what do you see as the future for um, it look like? You know, where would you like to see it go? Or would you like to just see it like be consistent throughout time? Like what's mm-hmm. what's that vision for, move, for it moving forward? Mm-hmm. I would love to see a actual literary imprint uh, like a publishing imprint for Oasis, where we can take on some longer book-length projects basically we are finding a very unique space with Oasis where people are free to write in a in a pretty unique way um according to the general christian publishing landscape it really does invite more intense more um, poetic, more unique, more humorous framing of stories that will usually not get published other places while still having a very orthodox and firm faithful foundation. So I think we are inspiring a new generation to be very true to their writerly voice and their creative voice and uh, allowing a platform for people of all um, viewpoints and, and context to really write in a way that allows 
um, the triumphant and glorious aspects of our life in Christ to come to the forefront. So I would love to down the road see um, an actual publishing imprint, as well as we're running, we're ideating on some more in-person events and different wine and cheese poetry nights and stuff like that. So a lot more genuine community building efforts Mm -hmm. in tandem with um, book length projects down the road. So lots of dreams for the future that, um, we're kind of figuring out what avenues to really double down on because there's just so much potential and opportunity and excitement around it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love, I love the idea of like in-person events. I, that's such a cool opportunity. Um, I said that that was going to be the last question, but I actually realized I have one, one more question. Cause I was like, I feel like this is just, I saw it on my notes and I was like, I have to ask this, um, for someone who claims like, so say someone claims that they're not really into art, how do you feel like the mission of ecstasis could extend to them? Or what would you like recommend for them to still, what would you say to a person who says, well, I'm not into art, you know? Yeah. And so much of the uh, arts and faith conversation that has been cultivated really wonderfully, I might be over saying it, but I think so much of it appeals to the folksy, woodsy, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien-esque aesthetic, which is really powerful and I love it. But I think for the modern person in the middle of the city working their nine-to-five job they are actually so influenced by the arts and creative culture in a way that they might not even recognize in terms of the actual like Netflix say it takes so many writers and creative directors behind that to bring a show that then dominates the cultural conversation Mm -hmm. so so many of the stories that we are absorbing through the culture through yeah through Netflix through our podcast listening through just even creative advertising it really does leak into our day-to-day in a way that many of us when we take a step back and realize our own listening and viewing habits it very much is influencing us um, and we're all consuming media of all kinds so I think what Ecstasis is trying to do is taking the best of tradition and history and the literary treasure troves of our of our Christian past and bring it mm-hmm. into the new formats that we're all engaging with unless you have banished all media to the, and you're, you're not using computers or phones at all, but I think most of us are. So I want to bring that depth um, that really comes across when we see a, a film or a show that really stops us in our tracks and brings us to wonder and, and awe and beauty while still bringing in the, that treasure trove of uh, Christian and beautiful, um, yeah, just the past of our faithful ancestors and bring it into one place. Yeah. Wow. That was such a great answer to that question. I'm so glad I asked it. Um, (laughs) And that could not be more true for our world today. So that is a great perspective. Um, So I have my very last question for the podcast is kind of a question I ask everyone that's kind of similar, but then it's specific to your field. So what advice would you give for someone wanting to go into something similar that you do, you know, being an editor or starting a publication or just like the creative field in general, what advice would you give um, for someone looking to either get started or continue in that direction? Yeah, I think there's two traps that people can fall into. And 
I think number one, and this is a very cliche, but it is really just start doing something. And I think that the perfectionism or to think that it will never be as good as that other person that's doing it, so I won't even start. That is a trap that I think a lot of people will fall into to not mm-hmm. pursue something that is on their heart that they do think that they would like to end up in one day. But you really do have to start putting in the time and the effort to honing that craft and figuring out what avenue you actually want to go down. Because as as we've talked about multiple times now, um, the early issues of Exasis were, were not that good. My editing talents back in university were not that refined. I knew that I had some sense of proclivity towards it, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anywhere to where I am now and anywhere to where I will be in the future um, because it really is a journey that you're always on. And just being exposed to people who are doing it at a much higher level and letting that not discourage you, but rather encourage you to keep pressing to better yourself. And so I think the second trap is, and I've fallen into this, is to think that you've reached a plateau that is good enough. And so I think, and I find this a lot with Christian media, is okay, it's doing, it has a good message, so that's good enough. It has a good community around it and people are supporting it, so that's good enough. But I think when you go into the the secular media and arts world, Mm -hmm. it really is very cutthroat and you have to be absolutely at the top of your game. You have to be producing things that are absolute top notch just in order to to survive and float. So I'm not advocating for that cutthroat mentality, but I am saying that we need to have a very high standard for ourselves and for others and bring in a level of criticism, not that brings people down, but that says, hey, we need to look at the great artists of the past. We need to look at the great artists of the, of now and say, we're not satisfied with um, subpar or mediocre or just putting out media for the sake of it, for the sake of it itself. We need to really, as a community, call each other to higher and more creative and more excellent standards um, in the creative domain. So anyways, but just in general, I would say summing up, start, with whatever you're doing, whatever you mm-hmm. might want to go down, just start connecting the dots slowly through people, through mini projects that you're doing yourself that you might not even show to anyone. Um, and just those lines will start to form between the dots. And then secondly, to not ever be satisfied with good enough, to always know that, um, yeah, there, there can be better and there can be, there, you can, you can, excel in your skills on an ever-increasing level. Yeah, that's great. And that is great advice for not even just people in the creative field, but in every avenue that you're trying to do. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Connor. And so everyone listening, if you want to check out Ecstasis, I 100% recommend it at ecstasismagazine.com or at Ecstasis Magazine on Instagram, Facebook. I follow them on everything. And it's just such a great, refreshing thing when I'm scrolling through my feed. Um, Always like just beautiful pictures to look at and the poetry Mm -hmm. and everything thing. Um, and then if you want to follow um, more of my podcast, you can also follow me at the Maddie Miller show or on my, go to my website, maddiemiller.co. 
But thank you so much, Connor, for being on this podcast. This was awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, Maddie. Keep doing your good stuff. And I'm excited to see where you end up in 10 years from now. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. <laughs>